What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi. Hi. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Of course. I'm honored to have you here. I feel like I, I got so excited because I was like, oh my God, you're like the marriage counselor <laughs> and therapist. <laughs> and I was like, I secretly wanted to have my husband come in on this and like so this many be people like a personal session for the two of us. You know, they're like, can we do another podcast where I bring my family member or my partner in so that we can mm-hmm. dive into it? Yeah, because I live with I have my husband, my daughter, and my mom lives with us. So there's just oh, yeah. a whole... Family dynamics. A whole bunch of stuff that you could really oh, yeah. <laughs> work through for <laughs> us over here. Congratulations on being a best-selling author. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Still still working on accepting that that title. Author came first. People were like, you're an author. And I was like, no, I don't... They're like, no, no, that's, that's a title now. It's like, yeah, okay, it is. I, I have to start integrating that as an identity. So yeah, thank you. Really cool. Did you always want to write a book or that was something that just happened? No, I never, ever wanted to write a book. And I started writing about five months postpartum. Like, do not recommend that. (laughs) This is definitely not (laughs) the way to do it. And, you know, it was, it was really challenging. And my son did not sleep through the night until 18 months. And so I never wrote Wow. You know, any of this book where I got to just get into a flow state and, you know, go off and sort of the fantasy of being in a cabin in the woods somewhere and having some silence. That is not what my writing experience was. There were plenty of times throughout where I was like, how do I make this go away? You know, like, can I give the advance back? My agents were like, no, you may not. You you have to see your way through this. And yeah, it was it was really like one of the most professionally challenging things that I have ever done. And I'm also so grateful that I found my way through and to the other side. I think getting messages from people now, you know, sharing how impactful the book has been is is the reminder of why I did the hard thing. So I'm glad that I that I did. Well, for the rest of us, I mean, we don't have access to you. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm sure most of the whoever discovers you obviously would die to get an appointment. That's yeah. clearly not possible for the average human and your Instagram is fantastic and it's full of so much helpful information, but to really have kind of, you know, a tool guide in the book is helpful for everybody. It felt important. Yeah. To just like put it into a book format so that more people can begin to explore the work. 
Did that really help you kind of like, I'm sure you have, I've never even thought about this. I'm just asking off the cuff now because there must be like a set of things that you do mm-hmm. that make you unique to what you do. Right. Yeah. But I'm sure that you practice with all of your patients. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like it was almost like a guide to like kind of how you work yeah. as a therapist almost, right? Yeah. And it also helped me synthesize things too yeah. when I had to put it into book form. And, you know, I think what makes certain therapists excellent therapists is the merging of the science and the art form. You know, it's like you really do need to understand the science part of it. But the art form to me is really what sets people apart. You know, how you actually engage with people, how you speak to them, how you bring certain things forward in a way that they're able to digest or the way that they're able to see that thing that maybe they weren't able to see when somebody else held it up. So there really is Mm -hmm. this beautiful art form that I think is probably like the most important thing that we have in the therapeutic dynamic. Because when you have a relationship with someone where they trust you and they feel safe with you and you have a way with your words that really are potent and they get through to the other person, then generally we're going to start to see like an openness for change, right? An openness to explore things that are hard and confronting to explore, but people will do it when that art form is is there. So yeah, and the book really did help synthesize and be like, oh yeah, right, this is actually what I do, right? Yeah, it's almost like a guide to your yeah. practice, right? Yeah, totally. When did you hit your strive with that art form? I mean, at what point <laughs> in your practice were you like, this is working, people are trying to see me, yeah. I am booked, like there's yeah. a big buzz around what I'm doing, I'm having breakthroughs here. Yeah. And I'm sure there's this moment when you have any sort of interaction with a human, but really your clients where they have these like aha moments, when did that start forming for you? You know, part of it is personal and part of it is is professional. And I think in the therapeutic world, you know, part of what allows us as clinicians to go further with clients is our ability to have gone further with ourselves. And I think, yes. you know, for me, there was a, I was a, I was a good therapist, I think, from the start. And yet I could only go so far with my clients, you know, really early on. I started being a therapist when I was 23 years old. So, you know, I was still really young and mm-hmm. I, hadn't resolved still things in my own life. I joke because when I started grad school, I started grad school to be a marriage and family therapist. And really early on, all of my teachers, professors, you know, supervisors, advisors are like, oh, they bless them because they had such patience with me. And I was like, I promise you, my parents' divorce didn't affect me. You know, and it's like my parents' nine-year divorce process—the longest in the state of New Jersey at the time. Right, like no. it was like, like clearly this divorce <laughs> affected you, right? And I was like, no, 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 no. They're best friends now. They're we're good. Like we do holidays together. They always drove to my lacrosse games in college and my you know orchestra concerts and all of this stuff. And although that that was true, and their relationship really had shifted and changed over time. What was also true is that I had been deeply affected by the divorce and what happened there. And it wasn't for even a while longer. I I made it all the way through grad school without really dropping into the impact that it had had on me. I was very committed to my story. But I share this because it wasn't until a few years later where something in my personal life happened. I was dating someone. His ex came back in the picture. She wanted to be back with him. He was trying to decide whether to go back into a relationship with her, stay in a relationship with me. And I automatically went into this space of like, I totally understand. This must be so hard for you. Take all the time you need. I know. I know. 
I don't know if people, everybody can see your face or not. You might be listening to the audio, but there is a facial expression that's happening here. And I have that same facial expression. And I, I have so much compassion for that former part of, of me because that was the needless woman who was the extension of the needless little girl who didn't believe mm-hmm. that there was room for her in a system, in a family system that was really crashing and burning around me. Right? It's like there was so much conflict and there was so much chaos and like just you know, it was gaslighting and manipulation and paranoia and emotional flooding. It was just all consuming. And as a little human in a system like that, my perception of it was that there wasn't room for me to also not be okay. And so that was something that I took through life for decades of being what I call, quote unquote, the cool girl, right? I'm unaffected. I'm unbothered. I'm fine all the time. I did did a lot of that. Yeah. Right. And it was so much attached to my, like, worthiness to some degree where it was like, I have to be okay in order for people to stay close and connected to me. And I didn't believe that there was room in my family system for me to not be okay. And that continued into my adult romantic relationships. And so during this time, when I was dating this person, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend and it really clicked in where I was like, oh, shoot, I, yeah. I am in the same role that I have been in since I was a little girl. And this pattern just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And I can never make contact with my sadness. I can never make contact with my anger. I can never make contact with boundaries, right? I was just existing in this space where I was pretending to be unaffected when I was actually affected. I was pretending to be fine when I was actually feeling very disrespected. And there was this moment where, you know, I finally had the conversation and said, this doesn't feel good to me and it doesn't feel respectful and I'm going to remove my from the situation. And I think for, you know, someone who maybe doesn't have a problem historically sharing how they feel, maybe that sounds easy and small. But for anybody who's never been able to say, like, I am hurt and I am bothered and I am affected, that was such a significant shift in my life. And it truly was life-changing for me. And I share that story because, coming back to your question, because, you know, that moment, I think, in my personal life, Combined with work, you know, I've worked with now like 25,000 hours of working with individuals and couples and families and therapy, you know, seeing that these unwanted patterns in our adult lives, the ones that we cannot shake no matter how much we promise ourselves, no matter how much we commit to it, is directly linked to the irresolution of pain from the past. And I needed that moment in my own life, in my personal life, to really like shift and pivot and step away. And I needed to witness and grieve what it was like for me to hold that responsibility and to hold that role through a lifetime up until that point. And once I had done that work, now my husband, (laughs) that was not the person I wound up marrying, (laughs) right? But my husband (laughs) now is like, I definitely have never met that version of you because now you are able to say everything that you feel and, you know, what it is that you're experiencing. And so it was one of those times, you know, when people say like, all you have to do is do it once, right? And it's like, it Mm -hmm. lets your system know that like, you can say that you're not okay. And yes, right, the consequence is that the relationship ended and I never spoke to that person again. And that was very sad for me. That was not the outcome that I had wanted at that time, but I had to bear the consequence in order to pivot and to to shift. Right. Like, and it's so funny because I think when I shared that, like, this wasn't a drop the mic moment. I wasn't like, damn, I feel so empowered. Like, I I said the thing and then I cried for a really long time afterwards. Right. And and I think sometimes healing, we're like, oh, it's going to look a certain way. And it's like, no, no, no. It's very painful for a period of time. And it feels really good now, but it was very painful 
painful for a period of time because I didn't get the outcome that I would have wished for, but I did get the outcome for my own life that I really needed. And so, you know, that was a big shift for me in my career where I was like, oh yeah, okay, now I can go a lot further. And it's not just obviously this one moment, but it opened up a lot because I finally was able to see my life much more clearly and I didn't need to pretend or hide or really fake the impact of what my history had had on me. And then, you know, obviously Instagram, there was a period of time where, you know, in the beginning when you're a therapist, you have calls with people and you kind of tell them about what your work is and they listen and you're talking with them and trying to, you know, book a session by the end of it. And there was a period of time a few years in where all of a sudden people were like, oh, no, no, I like, I actually, I I know who you are and I I don't need to hear anything. Like, I don't need your pitch, right? (laughs) It was like, I just want to to see you. Yeah. Yeah, I just want a book. So cool. And yeah, and that's been, I mean, I have a practice now with 10 clinicians and Oh wow, you have 10 clinicians. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's really incredible because people are following for, you know, period of time, which I think is so beautiful because they get this like, oh, this is what your perspective is on relationships or families. And there's something that builds a bit of safety and trust, I think, over mm-hmm. a period of time instead of this like cold call, which is such a scary call for people to make, where they're yeah. like, Oh, I'm gonna ask for help, but I have no idea who this person is or what they're like or what their personality is or what their perspective and take is mm-hmm. on on mm-hmm. all of these different things and to give people a little bit of a look into that before they do this vulnerable uh, mm-hmm. step for their own lives, I think is really just like supportive and grounding and soothing for them. So yeah, there was a big shift many, many, many years ago, but yeah, it was really, it was a strange moment the first time I heard someone say like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't need you to tell me anything. I just want to book it with you. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Element, L-M-N-T, is a tasty electrolyte drink that I consume every single day. It has everything you need and nothing you don't, which means a lot of salt and no sugar. I was drinking electrolytes for a year, not realizing they were packed with sugar. I don't know why that was necessary. 
And I was like, I don't know if these are working or not. Well, they weren't because I was <laughs> consuming copious amounts of sugar and not a lot of salt. And that's what you need. Element has the perfect electrolyte ratio. It is science-backed. It's 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. There's no junk, like I said, no sugar, no color, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no filler, no BS. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. It is perfectly suited for anyone following keto, low-carb, paleo. Listen, electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. I feel so good when I drink Element. It can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, sleeplessness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. And if you're like me and you work out, if you're like me and you have a cocktail or some wine here and there, you need to be replenishing your electrolytes. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte that's lost is sodium, and athletes can lose up to seven grams per day. And when it's not replaced, it's common to experience side effects like muscle cramps or fatigue, especially because I do hot yoga and especially because I live an active lifestyle. I cannot go a day without drinking Element. And right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. So that's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend because I'll tell you this, there are flavors I never would have purchased if I didn't have the sample pack. For example, chocolate. Who would have known? But it is delish. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash Pia. This deal is only available through my link. So you have to go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Pia. It's totally risk-free. If you don't like it, get rid of it. Share with a salty friend. We'll get your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. So, and you just told me that story. I had an idea that's pretty interesting because I think we often talk about red flags mm-hmm. in other people. But as you're telling this story, it's like you found your own red flag for yourself. Yeah. So what are some things that you think are like personal red flags to look out for in your own relationships? Because there was, my husband and I used to do this series on the podcast and we just haven't done it in a while because of bandwidth issues. He's mm-hmm. busy, but we used to answer relationship questions mm. and 99% of these questions are women. Like we went on three dates. He hasn't called me that it was like mm-hmm. this desperation to be chosen. Yeah. And every time we would answer this question, I was like, what are you doing? You don't even know mm-hmm. if you like this person. Right. Like it was a lot of, it ended up being a lot of us being like, girl, like <laughs> you need to like reimagine and reshift this narrative here. You're giving like a lot of power to somebody. You don't even know if you like, so I love if you have any, if there's any moments or anything that you could suggest or, or like that could be like red flags that we totally. do for our partners or in, in the process of dating that we need to look out for, for ourselves to be like, whoa, like we are not interacting with this situation appropriately. And maybe it's time we do some work on ourselves before we try to like push this relationship forward. Yeah. I, I like to think about, you know, red flags within ourselves or, you know, within in somebody else is just like irresolution within us. 
and it points us to a di- into in, a direction that's really important. You know, where there is maybe a red flag within ourselves is a place where we're trying to protect ourselves from something, but the behavior is disconnective. It, maybe if you are very controlling or you are, you know, feeling really insecure in relationships where you're like over-functioning or over-giving in order to be chosen, right? Like I mm-hmm. think, you know, that's a that's such a common one that you alluded to before, where you, especially with women, where it's like, wait, do you even like this person? It's like, I just want to be chosen. I just want to be good enough. I just want to be you know, valued by this individual and I'll trade who I am or any boundaries that I might have in order to be picked. And so I think, you know, quote unquote red flags might be that you are very controlling, that you don't have any boundaries, that your boundaries are too rigid. So meaning like no one can get super close to you or you have to keep such a distance, right? Because high boundaries, like a high wall is going to let us know that you are trying to create more safety for yourself, meaning like you would rather be protected than you would be connected, right? And so boundaries go both ways. We talk about boundaries a lot in terms of setting them and making sure you have like stronger boundaries. But sometimes we have such rigid boundaries that we actually have to drop the wall down so that people can connect with us, have intimacy with us, like actually feel us, right? So all of this stuff is going to be an extension of our ruptured relationships with our worthiness, with our sense of belonging, with our prioritization in other people's lives, right? Like sometimes we might present as super needy or we show up in this way where we're like, I just want you to make me important in your life. What is it that I need to do in order to do that? And so maybe we bend over backwards or we're always available instead of actually having those boundaries, right? A rupture in trust. So maybe we are constantly snooping or we're Mm. looking through things, DMs, emails, looking over shoulder, checking a phone when our partner is in a different room, like doing those types of things because we have to operate from a place of hypervigilance because we've had, you know, a trust wound ruptured or a safety wound ruptured in the past. And so now we have to like see things with our own two eyes to feel a sense of confidence, but it's a betrayal, right? And so these are some of the things that you might see in people and their behavior. But they're all extensions of these ruptures in what I talk about in the book, which is our origin wounds. Yeah. Yeah. What's the first step to, you know, I think to really like, like you said, like dig deep into those origin wounds. Like I definitely had a lot of like trauma as a child, but I, I know you also talk about victims a lot and like, Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be a victim. Like, I think I had such a, it was like my childhood was so privileged. Like I had two parents and they worked really hard to send me to private school and I had a beautiful house, you know, Mm -hmm. like I had food every day. And so for me to complain that things weren't perfect when I was little is like being a victim when I should just be very thankful, Mm. but like there's still trauma deep down in there. Yeah. So it's like, how do you, as an adult without the aid of a, you know, being able to see someone like you consistently, because that's Mm -hmm. obviously not possible for many people. What's the process of like, 
unleashing and trying to heal that origin wound. I'm so glad you described it the way that you just did. I call that wound comparison in my book. Oh, and yes, I have. That. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you talk about that yeah. all the time. Yeah. Right. And I love that you just gave us such a good example because so many people <laughs> feel that way. Right. It's like we're on the spectrum and we can sit here and we can say so many people had it way worse than I did. Or totally. my dear friend over here had this like terrible, terrible childhood. And I would feel foolish to complain about what mine totally. was. And I think so many of us, we have this fear of of looking back and doing some of the work that I ask people to do because we're afraid of opening up Pandora's box. What will I find? We're afraid of being ungrateful. We can sit here and we can say that our parents did the best that they could with what they had. We can say totally. that they were so much better than their parents were to them, right? The grandparents. There's so many things that we do to distract ourselves from actually making contact with our pain. And I yeah, think- you always it, talk about like not yeah. wanting to throw your parents under the you, bus, totally. right? Totally. And you can heal without having to Yeah, do this book is not in any way about blaming them, pointing the finger at them, throwing them under the bus. This is about just naming what was. Because if we don't do that, then we don't have access to our pain and then we can't actually touch it and move it and do something with it. And that's the invitation here is that we are humans who can hold multiples in our hands, right? We can hold multiple truths, right? I can honor and be grateful or I can accept that you had your limitations and I don't need to hate you. I don't need to cut you off from my life. And I can also make space for the fact that I was still impacted by things growing up. And that's the hope here is that for some people, I think for many people, we have access to compassion and empathy for our parents. For some of us, it's a little too far off because maybe our parents or the adults in our lives did very harmful things. But for many of us, you know, we can think about our parents. There's an exercise towards the end of the book from a psychotherapist, Michael Kerr, that says, think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter and see how that shifts a perspective for you. And I love that exercise so much because those adults in our lives were tiny little humans in a family system that went through so much too. And they might not have had as much access to healing work. They're not having these conversations like we are. And they were these little humans who went through their own stuff and maybe didn't resolve and maybe passed the pain. And again, we're not here to make excuses, but context is a beautiful thing if we can hold it delicately. Right? It informs us without excusing the behavior. And so when we can practice that, right, then we can hold compassion in one hand for them, right? And we can enter into this space with ourselves to say, even though XYZ, right, I still didn't feel prioritized growing up. I yeah. still didn't feel safe emotionally around a volatile parent. I still didn't feel worthy because I only got attention and love from this parent when I got straight A's or when I scored a hat trick or when I was the comic relief. But if I wasn't entertaining people, then my parents would always be fighting or my dad would hurt my sister or, 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 right? Yeah. And that's the work is is for us, you know, all of my work does look at the family system. Obviously, our pain can happen outside of the family system, right? They're not the only people who impact us and affect us. We go to school, we have teachers, coaches, we have religious institutions, you know, we have so many th friends, friends, parents, right? There's a lot that can affect us, but we have to look at the family system or systems, right? 
right? Because it might have been a different environment in one, you know, if you had divorced parents or multiple homes that you would go in between. We have to look at these different environments because you might have felt safe in one, but you didn't feel safe in another. You might have mm-hmm. felt, yeah, like really prioritized with one parent, but then the other parent was a workaholic and chose so many other things instead of you. The last thing that I want to say about like wounds, I know I probably got a far away from your original question here, but I think it's important to note that they don't have to always come because the adults were malintended. I share a story in the prioritization chapter about a client of mine who had a single mom who was working multiple jobs and they would have time together on Sundays when they would go to church and then they'd have brunch afterwards before she'd go to her her job on Sunday afternoon. And he could sit in therapy week in and week out and explain to me how she was prioritizing him by working so hard to give him a life that, you know, he deserved and that she wanted him to have. But it didn't change the fact that he still had a prioritization wound, which was that he wanted to feel more prioritized by her through time spent with him. And he loved her He respected his mom so much, right? Like he could zoom out and he could see the whole picture, but it still didn't change the fact that as a little boy, right, that it sucked and it hurt. And like, we just Mm -hmm. need to be with the suck and the hurt, right? Like that's the work is that you don't have to have the worst story in the world in order to be with your pain, right? When we do that thing, the wound comparison thing, when we're like, Mm -hmm. I'm lucky, there's so many people who have it way worse than me. All we're doing is distracting ourselves and, and disconnecting ourselves from the work that we need to do in order to resolve and heal. I don't care where your pain is on the spectrum. It doesn't mm. matter to me where it is. It matters to me that you honor it. It matters to me that you acknowledge it. And it matters to me that you begin to witness and grieve alongside of it so you can change it and shift it. Because otherwise, I always say that pain is so clever. Pain and, mm. and it is it has stamina. Let me tell you, pain has stamina. It will find endless ways to represent itself in our adult lives and bring us back into contact with these patterns that are going to say, you have to turn around and see me. The thing that you survived when you were five, the thing that you white knuckled your way through at 13, the thing that you brute forced yourself through at 20, like you don't get to just move on with life and not turn it back around to me and acknowledge what we went through. And that's Mm. what pain does. It's like, tap, 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 tap. Please pay attention to me for a moment. I promise I'll loosen my grip once we spend a little time together. But you cannot just move on with life without acknowledging me and being with me for a little bit of time. How do you balance that without becoming a victim? Yeah. And I love that you're asking this question because you know, it's very hard to heal from a victim position. That does not mean that we are never victims. It's like my nightmare. Being yeah. a victim is my actual, or like having a partner be, like it's so, Yeah. even sometimes I'll say to my husband, like he has mood swings. He's mm-hmm. he's very, something can like set him off. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's very charming and it's cute and it's his personality. But sometimes we'll do it at a time where I'm like, I'm not available for this right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like logistically, like you're spiking my cortisol. <laughs> and like I, my hormones can't take this. And I'm like, I love you so much, but I'm asking you to like, go mm-hmm. have an explosion like outside or something. Yeah. And he'll be like, you're, he's like, don't be a victim. I mean, he says it in like a funny way. We don't have, mm-hmm. like he totally respects me, but like even I do feel so bad saying that to him mm-hmm. because I don't want to 
shut down what he's feeling, but I also really need to protect myself because like, I'm also trying to get my work done. Like I'm trying to be a mom, like I'm trying to run this house. Like I'm trying to do, you know, we both run businesses. Mm -hmm. And so we have this very interesting dynamic where like neither one of us want to be victims, but we both like want to be heard, but neither Mm -hmm. one of us like want to know how to like step on each other and it'll manifest randomly into kind of like a 20 minute argument where we get everything off our chest and then we're like fine for Mm -hmm. a while because Uh we've like said what we needed to say. But it's a lot of like survival and a lot of not wanting to be in that role. So I'm like curious how you listen to what the other person needs to state, but like not be a victim, but also like have a boundary, but not have like too much of a boundary that you're like closing out your partner. Yeah. I mean, I'd be so curious to know how you how you define being a victim, because it sounds like there's a fear of being so close to whatever the emotion is and sort of getting lost with it and then being stuck. Right. Because I can hear the part that's like, I've got to run the house and we have a child and we have things to do. Yeah, and like, I don't have like, just... the bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I don't have the bandwidth and I also can't get stuck here. We can't get stuck here. Totally. And yeah, I think the like the flexibility, but also the trust that we can feel things and that the feeling of those things actually moves us, right, as opposed to it keeping mm. us stuck. And totally. I think, you know, I'll go out on a limb here, but I am that you must maybe I'll say maybe without saying must. Maybe there is an experience for you of, you know, when emotion is present like, do people get lost in it? Do we get stuck in it? Right. Like, where does that belief system come from? And I don't know if you have any insight around that just right off the top of your head. But I think this fear that like to feel our feelings means that we're going to get stuck or lost here. There is an inflexibility to that, because ultimately, I think when you zoom out, you're saying, I know that we need to feel what is there, but we totally. also need to be able to get on with life and, you know, move things things forward and not get lost here. And I think that is a shift in, you know, both how we maybe define what being a victim is, but also looking at what both of your experiences are historically, whether it was growing up in a family system with a parent maybe who had big emotions and maybe those big emotions derailed the family in some way or derailed an individual in some way, right? And so it's like looking for some of the historical information that helps us understand why we are resistant like, to ding, that. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, right? That's why I was like, I wonder like, if you have any... textbook. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's it. It's like, okay, shoot, maybe there was a family member whose emotions were big, and when I had to like be present with those emotions, we would get lost, and I would be disconnected totally. from my friends or whatever the story, right? And it's like, I don't want to experience that, and so I swing over here, but that swing over here right, blocks us and limits us from Um, The connectivity and the, yeah, just like the movement and the intimacy and the beauty that comes from, you know, being in the emotion together. And so Mm -hmm. it it like points us to where there might be a little bit more work around, you know, particular your resolution for either of you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I've been drinking AG1 for years. I felt sluggish. I felt like I didn't have this like inner glow <laughs> that other people had. And I remember asking a girlfriend of mine, like, what do you do that makes you look so good? And I swear, she like right away was like, I drink AG1 every morning. And now I have the whole family on this stuff because it is incredible. AG1 is a team of doctors and scientists. It is tested for 950 contaminants. It is NSF certified for sport. It is formulated based on the latest science and maintains high quality standards. So everyone in my family is on this stuff. And I'll tell you what's in it. It's unbelievable. Prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium, B vitamins for energy support, adaptogens to balance my body's stress levels, vitamin C and zinc to help support my immune health. It's everything you need in one little scoop. There is not a day I go without taking this stuff. You just feel good. You just feel good. It's a fabulous baseline. And I'll tell you this, when I travel and I take the travel pack in the morning, it settles my stomach in a way that is unbelievable for being in a different country eating food that I'm not used to. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why we've been a partner for so long. That's why I have everyone in my family taking it every day. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com slash best. That is drinkag1.com slash best. Check it out. Support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. Perfect timing, honestly, because winter is right around the corner and my wardrobe could use a refresh, especially because this is also perfect timing. My mom walked by here five minutes ago, fully wearing my Jenny Kane cardigan that I'd been looking for. Because now that it's chilly, she likes to steal my Jenny Kane sweaters. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through. I remember when she started the brand. Their staples make getting dressed easier than it's ever been before. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. From luxurious cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories to elevated versions of all your everyday basics, they have fabulous slip dresses, not to mention the most incredible home essentials. I'm currently sitting on a Jenny Kane couch. Jenny Kane is here to help you live your best holiday season yet. And for a limited time, our listeners get 25% off their first order. Use our code and link jennykane.com slash best15 to get 25% off. And I'll tell you just a quick note as a friend. Definitely, definitely get the Cashmere Fisherman and the Cashmere Cocoon Cardigan. 
These are the best sweaters. They're their best sellers every season. I'm always excited to see what their new styles are, but those two are absolutely fabulous. That's what my mom has stolen for me. They also have a stunning collection of home essentials. If you want to throw some of those in there, like I said, that's great for the holiday season. Again, this is jennykane.com slash best15 to get 25% off. That is J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com slash best15 to get 25% off. Shifting into being a parent mm-hmm. and your child bringing up <laughs> a lot of things, you have mentioned multiple times, which was my biggest lesson in getting pregnant with my daughter, was that there's no control. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that this is <laughs> yeah. really has nothing to do with you, <laughs> which I know like your birth was like not how you wanted, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's like really these first lessons, clearly your child yeah. wasn't, didn't sleep through the night till 18 months. Like, yeah. I don't even know how you function. I just, I don't know. Either. I have so many questions about that. Yeah. So how do we prepare ourselves as parents and future parents? Cause I think my husband, and I actually did like a really good job as partners. Like we, went through all of our expectations. Like we had had no fights the first Mm -hmm. four months at all. Like when it came to like waking up and changing the baby, like we were like those tender moments. We had roles and expectations totally laid out. Mm -hmm. It was really cute. Every time we would leave a friend's house who had kids, we would be like, Hey, did you see when so-and-so like took the toy out of da da da? Like, do you like how they handled that? Mm -hmm. Or do you think you would do something different? Like we would like role play, like how we would handle those scenarios. But obviously there's so many things that are going to come up that you can't handle. So, you know, what's your advice for like a new parent or somebody who's expecting or somebody who wants to have a child where you're like, okay, like this is how we protect ourselves from letting the things that could bring up a lot of trauma, like letting your child like trigger you into, Mm. you know, a meltdown. Well, your, your children will (laughs) (laughs) let's get that out of the way your children definitely will activate things within you and they hold up mirrors endlessly right you've probably heard before when people say like your children are your greatest teachers you know and I think Mm -hmm. all of our intimate relationships whether it's partnerships or parents or children right like these are the dynamics these are the relationships in our lives that hold so much up for us and I think what I would say is like be willing to look Right. So instead of just like the activation of it, it's that you have to replace it with curiosity. You must. You have to get curious about like, oh, fuck! like there's so much that's coming up for me right now. And I want to get away from it. I don't want to be reactive or I don't want to be feeling this way. And instead, like, can I get curious about why I'm feeling this way? Can I get curious about why I'm becoming reactive? Can I get curious about what? Like, I I mean, I think (laughs) for anyone who gets pregnant, like literally, I believe that every lesson in there is a release of control for for every human. It's like you just come face to face with your relationship with control and no matter how you slice it. And yeah, it's like to just move into this space, though, of curiosity instead of shame, right? It's so easy to become ashamed of ourselves if we react or we don't, you know, show up as a parent in the way that we would ideally like to. I think we can have these ideas of, oh, this is how I'll be, or this is how I'll respond in these moments, right? We have sort of like evolved parenting styles. And then every once in a while, you're like, I'm just going to like rip the toy out of the hand <laughs> or we like force you to do this thing. And you're like, I know well. I like snapped at my daughter yeah. the other day, not in like a, she did something that was like really dangerous. Uh-huh. And I was so shocked at my reaction. Like yeah. 
I like scream. I like screamed, and then she looked at me, and then I kind of scared her, and I was uh-huh. like, "Oh my god, that's so funny!" I see parents do that, and I always said I would never do that, but it's yeah. like she almost like fell off like a fucking ledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like this very funny. It's so. It's never going to end because it I still ends. like my mom still lives with me. She's seventy four. Mm-hmm. I'm turning thirty seven on Sunday, and like we're still going through, <laughs> totally. through this, right? So it's like be curious in your reactivity. Try to move shame out as quickly as possible and and replace it with curiosity. Know that these relationships... I love that. Sorry to interrupt, but I have so many parents who have so much shame and guilt over any little thing that they think that they did wrong. And it is, it's, they're like paralyzed. Yeah, it. it can be so paralyzing. And it's like, no, our behavior really makes sense when we have the context and curiosity is the access point for our context. Oh, you know? cool. Right. And so that. like when we just stay out and stay in shame, you cannot move from that place. I'll do like a little short stop here to tell you a quick story. It's not about parenting, but I think it'll reflect what we're talking about here. I was in an argument with my husband before we were married and we were in a fight. Not a clue what we were arguing about, but what I do remember <laughs> very well was that I couldn't stop proving my point and I couldn't stop needing to be right. And I kept going and going and going. He's like, I totally got it. Yep, yep, yep. Understand. And I keep going and I'm doubling down and I'm tripling down. And I like just cannot stop. And I'm an out of body experience. I'm like, shut up, Vienna. Like, enough. You know, it's like the, one of those mm. moments and you can't stop yourself. I finally stop and I'm in this like shame spiral of like, oh, gross. Like that was really unattractive. And like maybe he's going to leave me, yada, yada, yada. And then I stopped the shame and I got curious. And I was like, what does needing to be right, what does needing to prove my mm. point serve? And this is a very important question of like the behavior that I don't like, right, that makes me feel ashamed, makes me feel guilty, makes me feel embarrassed, right? Like instead of just hanging out in that space, can we get curious about what that behavior serves? In what way is it trying to protect me? So in my like wiggly little line back into my family system, I grew up with a father who was very manipulative. He gaslit. He was, you know, he was picture perfect with that before the word was even out, you know, in, in <laughs> used in the way that it is today. And it was, and I don't say this lightly, it was crazy making for my mother. I watched it really mm. break down, you know, her sense of reality and self. And it wasn't directed to me, but I was an observer of it. And what I saw and what I assigned to it was that he was always right. You know, when you're manipulative and when you're gaslighting, you make everybody else wrong and you make yourself right. And I saw what it did to her. And so being wrong meant unsafety and being Mm. right meant safety. It meant, you know, of course, like power and control was woven into it, but it really meant safety for me. And when I understood that my need to be right and my need to prove my point was really an attempt at protecting myself and feeling safe, I had so much more compassion for myself. Now, knowing is not enough, right? We have to change behavior. I couldn't keep behaving that way and probably stay married. But It was such a beautiful invitation. And I think that that's the hope as parents, as partners, right, is to replace that with the curiosity and understand what our behavior is serving and what it is protecting us from. Because when we go on that quest to try to understand that, we're going to find something that's going to make a whole lot of sense. And then when we have something that makes sense for us, right, then we can work with it. But this transition into being a parent, you know, the commitment is not that you're never going to hurt them, that you're never going to disappoint them 
that they're never going to have pain from you. They will. They absolutely will because you are human. I I always look at her and I'm like, my mom used to say it to me too when I was little, which is so funny. But I'll look at my daughter and say like, I wonder why you're going to hate me one day. I wonder what those reasons are going to be. be? Because I love you so much and I'm just trying to, I want you to like me, of course, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to make you like me as I'm always going to do what's best for you. And that's more important. So at some point, you're really not going to like me. At some point, right? And at some point you might do something that's really disappointing and, and you might do something that's actually quite hurtful, even if you don't mean to. And, you know, the goal is not so much about never having rupture. It's about the rupture and repair. Okay. And that's what so many people don't do. Part of what I see in my work with clients is that people want acknowledgement and they want a parent or the adult in their lives to like take responsibility, take ownership, acknowledge the impact, right? And people will get lost in that because we crave for that. We want, we're just like, if you could just say you're sorry, if you could just be like, oh my gosh, that time when you were seven years old and this thing, like I can see how painful that was. I mean, gosh, wouldn't that be so beautiful? And sometimes that happens and a lot of times it doesn't. But as we enter into this role as parent, Right. One of the most important things that we can commit to is not just the resolution of our irresolution, meaning like continuing Mm -hmm. to do our healing work, number one, but also being willing to repair every single time that there is a rupture, being willing to acknowledge your part, being willing to say, I'm sorry, being willing to take ownership where ownership is needed and showing that to your child, right? That I don't have to protect myself so much at the expense of you being seen, heard, and understood. That's what Mm. happens, right? Is like why parents and adults have to defend themselves and protect them. I have to protect myself more than I can honor you. And I think it takes a tremendous amount of maturity and wisdom to get to a place where we can say, I don't need to protect myself in order to see you and hear you and understand you. I screwed up. I hear that I disappointed you. I hear that I let you down and I don't need to protect me instead of seeing you. And so when we can do that as parents, gosh, like we teach our children that we can go through hard things together. That's one Mm -hmm. of the most important things for the basis of of attachment, right? It's not that we don't have hard things. It's that we can go through hard things together and get to the other side. Yeah. What are some like mom tips that you have? I'm also really curious about something on a personal level because was there a reason you didn't sleep train your son? Yeah. So we wound up eventually right around 18 months when my husband was like, I can't take it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. We did this sleep coaching thing that made it so that our son code didn't never had to like cry it out, scream it out, anything like that. And yeah, for me and listen, I really hold the space for people to choose and, you know, whatever works for each parent. I don't ever want, you know, what my choice is to ever be shaming no, of, of somebody else. Right. But I think that's yeah. really important for parents too. It's like, yeah, you did what you need to do for your family unit. Absolutely. And that's what yeah. matters for your family unit. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember my doula saying like, at some point you will have to make a decision and like, you just need to, because your own sanity will, you know, be yeah. at, <laughs> on, at risk. Cause um, I slept train Carmela for yeah. months because I couldn't take any time off of work, but 
it wasn't like she was in her room screaming all night. It would be yeah. like a little bit of fussing then I would go in and then it was like, but it's made her such like an independent, happy kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just like, it was like great for everyone. And my mom was like, this is, amazing. but there are times where I'm like, should I have done that? Like, should mm. she, should she been with us a little bit longer? Like, you know, you question yourself. Sure. So when you said you yeah. didn't seem to understand for 18 months and you are, yeah. you know, do what you do for a living in my head, I just went, fuck. Like, oh, did no. I, I did yeah. a comparison where I was like, wait, but I slept during her four months. Like, does she know something about, you know, does she have data that she knows that I don't know? And I inflicted trauma on my child. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I listen, I think for me, it was uh, continuing to build what I thought was an attachment with him. And it also sounds like you transitioned this really beautifully. And it was funny, like at 18 months, what we were learning, I was like, oh, I like we could have done this a lot sooner. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like it was one of those things that I was like not budging on. And it was it was actually so simple. It took five days, but it was like a, I mean, listen, I was up the majority of the time, but it stopped after five days. And all of a sudden he was like sleeping through the night. And it's like, oh, like, isn't it incredible? I and then the whole unit just like, yeah, gets back to normal. Yes. Yes. And I do think that there's something to, I'm like, if your child's so tired that he's, he or she's crying all yeah. day long, but then you don't want them to cry it out even for a little bit. Right. I'm like they're, they're crying either way. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. It's like, but now I'm like, does she? No. And like, you know what? Guess what? Hopefully she'll tell you at some point, if not this, because she's not going to remember this, but like that she'll tell you at some point when things bother her or when she, when things, mm -hmm. you know, she wished that things had been different, you know? And I think that's the, that's the main thing is not to hang out in this place of like, should I have done that? Should I have not have done that? It's more about, okay, this is what happened. This is what we chose. This mm -hmm. is how it unfolded. And at some point in our relationship and our life, like I hope that we have a relationship where you feel like you can come to me and share with me and, you know, review where you have felt hurt or let down or whatever. And that's that I think is the most important thing. Not like sitting here racking our brains of like, what month should I this and that? And like, you know, yeah, some people feel very strongly about these things. Okay, great. And also like most of this is that there is not going to be an absence of pain in people's lives. Obviously, we want to try to protect our children from the big stuff as much as we can. Of course. Right? And also... But people try to avoid pain so much. Yeah. I, it's funny you said that. I, I think about that often. We're just constantly trying to avoid mm -hmm. pain, but it's so inevitable. It's so Another thing my mom inevitable. used to always say to me, I'm like, talk about like a heavy thing to say to a child, but now we laugh about it. And it's true because... It's almost like she manifested it this way, mm. which is sweet. But she would she would be like brushing my hair when I was little. And she'd be like, your heart is going to be so broken one day. And I wish yeah. I could take the pain for you. Yeah. And then every time I would have a heartbreak, I would come here and she would sit with me. And we would drink wine. We would talk about it. Like, yeah. it ended up being this like really sweet thing. But she would warn me often, always, like there's going to be so many things that are mm -hmm. just so hard, but you're going to come out so strong on the other side. And I kind of really like appreciated that always because it, she wasn't always trying to have me avoid conflict. Right. right. I mean, I, I love that sentiment. You know, it's, it's such a beautiful image. A little actually. intense, but. <laughs> and maybe, but it's also like there is this beautiful image of like a mom, like brushing her daughter's hair and just being like, you know, one day, 
Like, we're going to be talking about hard things, and we're gonna, you're going to be crying in my lap, and I'll, even though you'll be bigger and I'll be older, you know, it's like, I will still be here in this way, and, you know, I'll, I will be stroking your hair while we drink wine, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, we'll be, and we will get through it, but that's the sentiment, right, is we will get through it. I will be here for you and with you when the hard stuff happens. And that's a, a level of safety and trust mm-hmm. that children need. It is not needed that we don't go through hard things. It is needed that we know that when we go through hard things, that people will be there, that we're not going to lose attachment, that we're not going to lose the relationship. Right? Like, you know, it was interesting because when I grew up, when I was like a good kid, my dad was like really present, really supportive, like a team player, like, you know, it was just like super helpful. And when I was difficult, and when I mean, di- when I say difficult, I mean like you're like really like average teenager stuff, right? The you're not way, like setting buildings on fire. Yeah, I wasn't setting, no, yeah, none of that. Is that the way that he would punish me was through silent treatment and he would no. give me the silent treatment My for- My goddamn ex-boyfriend yeah. used to do that. It's a form of abuse. Yeah, and it would go on for like days or weeks at a time. And your dad did that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. It's like, it's such an interesting conversation, right? Because I also always like my dad is wonderful and amazing. And he was a phenomenal father in so many ways, but also just so important to name and point to the things that were deeply existing and that existed. And that was one of the ways that he dealt with that when I was hard and difficult, like we could not get through a hard thing. Right. I would be punished in this way. I would lose attachment. I would lose love. I would lose contact with a primary caregiver in my life. And that's hard because, you know, you pair that with what I was telling you before about like being the cool girl and flying under the radar. And like, Mm -hmm. I need to present a certain way. Right. I needed to be easygoing. I needed to not have boundaries. I needed to not be difficult in order to be chosen and loved. Withholding love from you. Yeah. And that's, you know, that basis is not great because we do need to know that we can go through hard things and that, yes, like, listen, guess what? We're going to be difficult sometimes. Like, have you met a non-difficult person ever in your life? It's like we are all difficult in little ways, like in ways here and there. And we have to be able to go through these difficult moments and, and not fear that someone is going to withhold love and attention and affection and contact from us. Right. And so mm-hmm. that, you know, it's like we could we could sit here all day and talk about all of the different examples of what that could look like. But ultimately, coming back to the question about like what we need to be thinking about as parents or when we're entering into that you know, stage chapter of life, it's like this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Don't worry so much about the pain. The pain will be, right? Do your best to protect them from the big stuff, of course. And I think continue to do your healing work. And I walk people through five origin wounds. And like that's, you know, to me, those are that is the work in our, you know, adult lives. But also... Like heal enough so that you can apologize, heal enough so that you can take ownership, heal enough so that you can take responsibility without needing to protect your so, yourself so much that you have to disconnect from your own child. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to ask, round this out, what do you think are your, if you had to name a cause your top few like relationship tips mm. and parenting tips that mm. you're like, I always make sure that I blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What are those tips? Okay. For relate- maintaining a healthy relationship and for being, you know, a quote unquote, like good parent. Okay. Relationship tip, like you must 
know and understand the internal world of yourself and your partner, right? So what I mean by that is, like, we have to know the underpinnings of, like, why we are the way that we are and why we navigate conflict the way that we navigate conflict and, like, what Mm -hmm. hurts us, like, what are my origin wounds and what are your origin wounds? And the more we understand that of ourselves and each other, the more that we're going to be able to, you know, move through life together much better. This is like a self and relational awareness. Most people come in and they're like, we need help, like communicating better. We like, we need to move through conflict differently. And it's like at the core of all of this stuff, is unresolved pain. And, you know, at the everything, anything that couples come in with, no matter what the topic is, I can't stand the in-laws, we're, uh, we're not having sex, we're this, we're that, whatever it is, right, it's always going to come back to an irresolution around our origin wounds. And so the more that we can know ourselves and the more that we can know our partner, the more that we can move through these, like, ruptures in our relationships. Gratitude. I know we've heard it so many freaking times before, and it's like one of those obvious ones, but it cannot be stated enough, right, is to make sure that you're expressing gratitude to your partner and that there's reciprocity there. There's also something called a low negativity threshold. And, you know, a lot of couples think, okay, like we're going to pick and choose our battles or we're not going to like make everything into a thing. But the reality of it is, is that we want our bar to be really low before we share with our partner when we're hurt, when we're upset, when we didn't like something. This isn't an invitation, you know, to be like, that color blue sweater is awful. Right? Not that, right? But when you feel hurt, when you feel mm-hmm. disappointed, when there was a miss right? It's like we don't want to let the bar rise. We want the bar to be really low before we share that. Because when we rise that bar, what happens is that we continue to keep things. We store them. They start to build. And it's very easy for resentment to start to creep into a relationship. Resentment is my worst fear. It's it's terrible. Resentment is terrible. It is a killer of relationships. It is absolutely awful. And if you're not... It's a killer for ourselves. You just feel like it uh, fits inside your body like a cancer. Yes, it is. It really is. It really is like a death, right? And it's like you have to do everything in your power to not let resentment build. Reciprocity. We need reciprocity in relationships. This is not about counting things and keeping score or anything like that, but there is a need to feel a sense of reciprocity in relationships. Okay, tips for parents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Grace and compassion. (gasps) You have to make space for it. You are going to misstep. You're going to yell. You're going to scream. You're going to have the moment. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to realize that you've been on your phone for 30 minutes with your child next to you sometimes and you're going to be like, oh, shoot, you know, I didn't like, I don't like that, right? And so grace and compassion for the humanness, right? But also ownership and responsibility and accountability. Everything that I've been saying, you know, throughout our conversation here. And, you know, I think there is something about when I am working with parents, usually somewhere along the way in our conversation, our therapy, I'll ask them to think about their child, you know, 15, 20 years from now on their therapist's sofa. And I ask them what it is that they hope their child will share about them. 
right? Because, you know, it's like for me, when I sit down in front of people, I learn about what it was like for them growing up and what their relationship was like with their parents and their siblings. And so one day, right, somebody's going to ask them that question. And in what way will they describe you as a human being? And what way will they describe you as a parent? And what will be the ways in which they feel supported and loved by you? And in what ways will they feel disappointed and hurt um, and let down by you? And I think to zoom into that space or to even ask that question every year at some point, it's like, what would they have said about me this year? And if you don't like that answer, you know, you have to be really honest with yourself. But if you don't like that answer, are you willing to do something about it? You know, mm-hmm. are you willing to shift something so that they say, I feel really prioritized by my mom, even though she works a lot, or I don't feel prioritized because there's so many things that she's juggling, right? Like, that's something that I think about with work. And, you know, I'm like, oh, which of these wounds might code have, you know, when he grows up? And I'm like, does he feel prioritized by me? I don't think he'll struggle with the other ones, but I'm like, can, does he know that he is prioritized? Can he feel that? And am I spending enough time, you know, undistracted time with him where that will not be a question? And so it's like to ask ourselves those questions and be honest with ourselves and then to explore, you know, if I'm unwilling to shift this, why? You know, what's there? These are hard questions. They're confronting questions. But the more that we're willing to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves some of these things, I think it gives us, you know, it's an arrow to something within ourselves. And hopefully it points us towards something that we're willing to take a closer look at or adjust. I cannot thank you enough for this. This is wonderful. Thanks, Peter. Your ability, I mean, this is clearly why they pay you the big bucks, (laughs) but your ability to make things that seem overly complicated very simple is very freeing Mm. and it makes me feel like all the complicated stuff is not that complicated yeah thank you i appreciate that thank you i really appreciate this thank you thank you thank you so much of course thanks for having me and that ladies and gentlemen concludes this week's episode of everything is the best i hope you enjoyed it please rate review subscribe all that stuff Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.